Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And I'm wondering if you are feeling like me about your September garden. I've been noticing that it's not quite as nice as usual. Usually in summer, you're really looking forward to a September garden with the hydrangeas and the fall colors. Well, it's looking a little sad. So we thought we would talk about uh, some of the issues that you might be finding in your garden, just like what I have in my garden and the other gardens I walk around. What do you think, Matt? I agree. Things aren't looking quite as uh, fall fabulous as they have in the past. That's right. So this episode is called What's Wrong With My Garden? (laughs) That's right. So we'd love to hear what issues you have facing your gardens. Don't forget, uh, you could write us um, down the Garden Path podcast at hotmail.com. But also, we'd love to continue the conversation on our Facebook group at Down the Garden Path Podcast is our Facebook group there where you can share our photos and other questions, tips and advice, maybe for some of our other listeners uh, as well about your garden. So we can interact with us more there as well. That's right. That's right. So I think the biggest, one of the biggest things and the most common, and and I think probably the most typical, right, is mildew. Yeah, definitely. Lots of powdery mildew, especially uh, popping around. So if you're not familiar with powdery mildew, it's that white fuzzy film that slowly takes over our leaves uh, and or stems on our tree shrubs and perennials. And it's a fungus that won't flat out kill your perennial or tree, but it definitely uh, takes away or lowers the aesthetic value of that plant in the garden. So yeah, it's just pretty common. We'll spread it around by touching other plants. Maybe you've brushed up against it out in the wild or you've been at somebody else's garden and they have it. It's kind of out there and it's going to spread and take over with free moisture. So, you know, long, humid days, free irrigation water. So if you're watering or irrigating at night, we've got that free moisture that doesn't evaporate readily back Uh, into the environment. Uh, Like when, you know, the sun comes up and hits the morning dew and it's there for a bit, but evaporates mm -hmm. uh, fairly quickly. So those are the conditions where we see a lot of our powdery mildew uh, pop around. Lots, a lack of circulation too, right? If you like, I love a really full garden. I love yeah. all my plants touching. I know there's some clients who really like, you know, space in between. But so yeah, so the fact that my peonies are like up by my hedge and under my Japanese maple, and um, so peonies are one of the most common. And really, the best thing is to cut them down. It's fine to cut them down this time of year. Um, definitely throw away what you're, and you know, clean up, uh, you know, as best you can below. Um, but it's not something that really, um, you know, if it happens again, it happens again, right? Like it, it may not, but it's not going to kill the plant. 
Right, exactly. You can definitely control it. And like you said, we're disposing of the material. We don't mm -hmm. want them to be composted. And I try to, when I clean up my clients' gardens or even around my own garden when I have powdery mildew, try to do the powdery mildew don't uh, or like clean it all at once don't clean a little bit of powdery mildew and then go touch something else and then come back to clean powdery mildew you know know that you're going to deal with your powdery mildew especially mm -hmm. if you Good have point. a heavy infection and then you know disinfect your gloves i'll put my gloves i'll put hand sanitizer on it i'll wash rinse my gloves just with them on um wash my gloves with soap and water just to remove it same thing with your tools um and disinfect your space so yeah okay. just kind of keep sanitation in mind when you're cleaning it or do everything else and then do that last and then do a, a good thorough uh, cleanup but yeah i like you said it doesn't it's not necessarily because you have it especially if you have it heavy this year with we've had a cooler we've had a more moist especially uh spring in the beginning of, of summer we've had some of those ups and downs mm -hmm. so again that's a good spot for powdery mildew to occur but just because you have it doesn't mean it's going to infect or be as if it does come back it's not going to be as strong necessarily next year right. but i kind of think of it as one of those omnipresent nature yeah. garden things right like yeah. you're going to see mosquitoes in your garden you may have more or less next year you're going to yeah. have powdery mildew somewhere but you may not notice it or yeah. you know, the spores are going to be moving around there but mm -hmm. they may not infect mm -hmm. so yeah that's definitely and, there, and there's the things that are you know, known for it like peonies mm -hmm. i would say flocks I would say um, nine bark is a shrub that burgundy shrub that can sometimes be susceptible Just certain varieties are more susceptible than others. Um, so I feel like there's the known things and uh, you know um, if you do see it early in the garden, let's say, you know, is it, I've read that milk that actually spraying the foliage with milk, is that just a wives tale mat? Have you had any uh, luck with that? That's so funny because we were talking about that in class just this week oh, as yeah? we brought up powdery mildew. And I I have not had any positive or definitive, like I've sprayed milk and then it, it cures yeah. itself. Um, and the idea is, yeah, that like the milk spores, it, you know, grows because it's out and it eats the other spores and stuff happens. Um, none of my students have had it also like work for them either interesting so i i don't know if it's a wives tale or if it's there's conditions for it mm -hmm. but it's definitely something i want to play with and and explore for more yeah yeah because sure, and sure. yeah i mean i said something because i i feel like you know it's like you notice like i'll notice that oh it's starting on my peony and then it feels like you know you turn around and it's like oh it's covered on my peony right like it just goes so quickly yeah. so sometimes <laughs> but if i could just try the milk right right at the beginning it'll be interesting so i'll have to think about that for next year um but we just really want to let you our listeners know that it's not you it's not you know i'm sure if you walk around the neighborhood you're going to see people's gardens looking just as sad as yours unfortunately which is too bad because I feel like I always look forward to September and I think I have a pretty good fall garden but you know my garden is not looking like I I wanted to um so the mildew is one um the other thing I noticed is um premature browning with leaves and flowers my bobo hydrangea um is is not usual I, even some of my I have one side I have three spots where I have quick little quick fire everybody knows how much I love my little quick fire <laughs> and um 
one of the three, it's it probably gets the most sun. Um, but yeah, they're more brown than pink. Um, my bobos are all not white. They've gone brown very prematurely. And I don't, um, I, I know we had like hot, hot weather and then rain and then hot, you know, it, it, do you think it's just that just drying things out? Uh, yeah, I think it's just we've like we've you said we've had like those ups and those downs, mm -hmm. and uh, we've had such extremes, and the, you know it's been really really wet, and then it's dried out and got really really hot, and then it got yeah. really cold. Um, here in the GTA, the last few nights we've had like nine and ten degrees suddenly, yeah. um, but it was twenty eight, and you know with a humid X the week before, or even that day um, as it started to drop. So I think it's just the the some of those seasonal stressors moving back and forth. But again, I think it also comes into like our care, like we were saying too, right? Mm. Are we watering and we're spreading our powdery mildew, or you know we see these stresses and are we watering? The yeah. leaves or are we watering deep enough or are we just watering shallow so we're kind of adding to it or yes. really we're not kind of providing that relief to the plants yeah. that they would love so yeah I mean I've noticed that too um, even with uh, my students this year uh, one of them commented to me that uh, you know the tomatoes this year and I noticed it on my balcony with my tomatoes they were green for so long um even i had like early girl this year so it's like an earlier indeterminate yeah. producing one but they took so long to actually get the heat and the warmth um to really kind of ripen and do their yeah. thing and yeah. even now we had that burst of warmth going into the beginning of september and as really suddenly like jolting down to a cool they're just kind of popping up or they were starting to mature and now we're getting cold and the, the plants are taking the damage and yeah. looking like a little wilty so yeah I think it's a lot of it's the, very much the ups and downs and the drought yeah. and how we dealt with it at those times yeah and but, I think that real hot at the beginning of September like you said I mean I hadn't really had to water the garden because we'd had rain every few days and, and, you know, it seemed to be okay. And even the lawn, I didn't really water much. And then by the time that heat came, it was like too late. Like any watering I did, like it didn't really help the hydrangeas and help anything. So, yeah. So I think that the key there is to really pay attention and, and try to stay ahead of it. But sometimes with the, with the, with the weather changes so frequently. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and and it's one of the things, like you said, like whether we can't control the weather, yeah. right? We can control how we react to it. Um, but there are more factors that go into, you know, the we had that heat, but was the garden mulched or was the soil already dry? Or did you have a drier soil texture or a looser, a sandy or siltier texture already? And then the heat swoops in and pushes everybody over the their edges so it's nothing that you can control so don't freak out that it's happened that or that those cards were dealt to you mm -hmm. maybe your garden looks fabulous and you're yes. listening because you're a regular <laughs> listener um, but you know in those situations you know maybe there's a few factors that feed into that plant health mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily anything that you have done um, but just be mindful that it did happen and like mm -hmm. we always say in our book right photograph write things down take some journal notes yeah. so that you know oh wait this looks like this and what happened oh yeah last year it was so you know you can take those steps to you know make me add a little bit more mulch or make sure you're watering deeper just at the base of some of those more susceptible plants so don't worry it's something that you necessarily did yourself um 
yeah, it's just more of it. You know, there's the cards were stacked against you maybe this year. Well, and I think maybe, and it could be me, like I was busy, you know, so you're right. I mean, some of our listeners who might be more out in their garden more, more consistently um, are not having that issue. So we'd love to Mm -hmm. hear from you if, uh, whether, you know, again, Facebook's the perfect place to share your photos um, or tag us. If you post your garden on Instagram, then you can tag us and we'll take a peek. Uh, I will take a peek at some of my dilemmas. Um, The other one we mentioned just before we went live was the echinacea so my cone flowers so there's mm. always some like dead black ones in amongst my have two like really big bunches and there's always some you know but like pretty much there's it's the exception like there's no good ones you know and um so yeah so I I, I always think oh if I just deadheaded and same with the, my bobo hydrangeas like if I had just deadheaded you know maybe I'd have some new blooms by now but uh um, and I did try that with Bobo, but just a couple weeks ago. So I, I don't think there's been time for new new flowers to to emerge. Um, yeah. So yeah, so this this show is just a bit of a reassurance, um, commiserating if your garden also looks like mine. Um, congrats <laughs> if yours doesn't, and you are very happy with your fall garden. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were also talking about the smoke bush. So I, I've shared lots of pictures oh, yeah. of my incredible smoke bush on social. Um, but my smoke, usually the one thing I, cause it's Glenn's favorite, my husband's favorite tree, and it's not mine necessarily because of the smoke and because of how much of it, like, you know, my garden's covered in tumbleweeds. Um, but it's really hung on to its smoke this year. Is, is, is that also a weather thing or is that just, you know, every five years that holds on, it doesn't let go? Yeah. You know what I I've seen and noticed that too. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent sure about that either. Cause I've noticed too, um, different places, for example, like my neighbor across the street, they have a beautiful purple smoke bush, um, gives a beautiful show, but this year there's really nothing much on it. But where we teach at Parkwood Estates, they have a hundred year old shrub smoke bush that, yeah, and it's literally just been covered for months, right from the beginning of the bloom. And it's really not doing anything so um just quickly initially yeah i mean the one that's 100 years old gets full sun but is a little bit more protected um and maybe has a little bit of afternoon shade and the other two the one there's another one there on site uh and it's a little bit more full sun and uh it's empty and my neighbor's is empty so i'm not sure what's your because yours you do you have lots of you said your smoke bush has lots of smoke yeah, this year yeah, it had a so... lot of it, it. It had a lot of smoke. It seems for me, I feel like it's every other year. Last year it was okay. This year it really was quite a bit, like cotton mm. candy and like the kids. Because like, I'm a I'm a corner house, but no sidewalk on my side, so everybody sees it. You know, any you know, a, a tr- something's really spectacular when like little kids notice, right? Like yes. little kids are noticing that, like the fluffy the fluffy tree, you know, and and different comments like that. Um, that's so maybe- why. Yeah. And so maybe that is, and maybe, and I just haven't noted, noted it for smoke bush, right? Uh, There are certain plant species that do bloom and fruit heavier every other year uh, under a stress, right? So Mm -hmm. it could just be something definitely like that. And you can, now you can kind of sell or use that as an indicator for these conditions, right? Oh, she does it every, every year. But what you what do you do when they don't come off? Like, is it now I have to prune it? Like, is it saying you know should prune it, or do you think it will get a windstorm and they'll they'll eventually come off? 
yeah, usually in that kind of case, like I'm sure, like the one at Parkwood, for example, it's just covered in them. Um, and like yours, it's just covered in them, right? I think what we'll see is we'll see our normal fall leaf drop and then our winter winds will come in and mm. blast them away and yeah. push them. Or even as the fall winds come with the cooler, darker days, they'll slowly be blasted off and uh, let go. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't so. had a lot of wind. That's one thing. Like, I know where our temperatures have kind of fluctuated and stuff. Um, but, you know, sometimes we get, like, you know, when we have rain, we've had, like, those, you know, wind and it's blowing sideways and stuff. And we haven't really had that. So that could be a factor, too. But Yeah, I've noticed that, too, as as our in-between, you know, the wind changes between the sunny and then mm -hmm. it gets cloudier. And then when it comes backwards, too, yeah, I've noticed that, too. And even the winds then haven't really been as strong yeah uh, at least in our area or my area i was at my brother's earlier in the week uh on one of those cooling days and uh the wind there was insane uh, oh, yeah. but he's a he's like like kitchener waterloo okay. escarpment area so he's a little higher up but yeah. uh maybe that was it but yeah interesting it was interesting um so <laughs> and same with the leaves right like the leaves prematurely like my london plane tree my front tree i've got like brown leaves all over the the lawn already um, and I've seen that kind of hit or miss when I'm driving around. I'm noticing things. Um, yeah, I've it. noticed that, especially just in like the last day or so too, right? Mm. Is um, a lot of the leaves have really started to change. And just that I say in the last day or so, because here or over here where I am in, in Oshawa, it's, uh, we've had some really, th those nine and 10 degree nights. Um, but even before then, like the echinacea, things are starting to turn a little easier and a little bit of turn is good, right? We have trees and shrubs that maybe have had some heavier stress than we realize um, and we can see them turn. And I often think of, you know, a little bit of a drier, a tougher spot in our garden yeah. or, you know, a younger tree or shrub that's maybe on a boulevard or uh, even like if driving out in more of a country setting that's kind of on the like on a, in a ditch or kind of, you know, just young and in a little competitive space, they'll turn a little earlier. But like you had said, we're noticing a lot that's really just suddenly turning, turning um, their full color or just browning out um, completely and starting to die. So, and I always think about this time too. That's one of the things, if you're worried about your trees or shrubs, um, you know, if the leaves are browning and they're falling, that's a good sign. If the leaves are turning and they're browning and they're not falling, uh, that's a danger because trees naturally close off their leaf scars. Um, so the leaf, as they close off on the stem, they'll pinch the leaf and let them go and they'll fall. If it dies and she's closing that part of the stem, the leaf will fall. But if she's dying, that stem is dying or there's a bigger issue, she uh -huh. won't close. She won't trigger. And that leaf will stay brown and just continue to rot. So that's saying that there's damage even in the stem itself. Uh, something's happening. So we want to see the leaves brown and fall versus brown and stay. But yeah, there's a lot of browning and falling that I've noticed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And color turning. Things are blushing a lot more. And a little bit of that is definitely going to be the cooler nights. Mm -hmm. um, right? You'll see it in your annuals, like your ivies and, and yeah. right, in your more hardier annuals. But uh, yeah, yeah. And again, is it? it's just kind of that weather thing and I think a, a hit of huge drought have you know like have you any in your area because uh, I know you're much further west than I am or a good further west than I am uh anything else that 
that maybe is you've noticed it's spurring it on or no I don't think so I think I mean in the past I've had that issue with um, my Japanese maples but I'm looking like mm. I just popped up to look at my blood good in the backyard and uh and it's it's doing fine like it's not started to dry out yet so that is good and my yellow one in the front has been one in the last two falls has been an early one to to dry out and drop um so yeah so it's not too bad I, I think it's my London plane um is the most dramatic mm -hmm. and uh and I'm just shocked at how big those have gotten Matt like uh, honestly how big I never thought they'd be so big so yeah you really plane are yeah they really have got, have grown so fast um my um flowering dogwood has certainly gotten started to turn red faster than than everything else but it's it's holding on to its leaves so um and it still has its berries so it's funny i noticed the pagoda dogwood turns it's got like the blueberries and clusters and the birds love that mm -hmm. but the red i don't know if the red it's almost like a big raspberry on the flowering dogwood cornus kusa is oh, yeah. A much more like a raspberry or I would say it's got the bumps on it like a raspberry but I would say it's almost the size of a cherry um okay yeah, and yeah. the bird I don't know if it's too big for the birds but the birds don't go after it but the chipmunks and squirrels do so it's it's kind of interesting uh the different delicacies at the different times of year um so yeah so it uh um it's nice to um to feed the animals uh Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're yeah. definitely part of the garden ecosystem. I think a must have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're worried that you're seeing too many new things or birds or wildlife or bugs in your garden, that's a great sign. That means that, you know, they're happy and you have a good ecosystem there. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you if you don't see anybody and you've got lots of stuff, I would worry there. So yes. yeah, you've got, yeah, <laughs> I'd worry there that, oh, so what's off? Why isn't yeah. somebody coming to see me? <laughs> well, I, I wonder, curious about you, um, monarchs. Have you seen, like, I know you keep an eye on a patch of butter above, of milkweed near your place and anything with the students. Like, my mother-in-law is always on the hunt for um, monarchs, and she usually brings a couple in, you know, into the house type to, to raise and, and make sure that they make it into adulthood, like, and it turned into a butterfly, the chrysalises and stuff. And she's, she traveled all over Durham looking and she has not found any. I have, then she got me looking. So I, I haven't seen any eggs on any milkweed. Yeah, I haven't seen very many eggs or caterpillar activity yeah. um, in my one spot uh, at all. And so I'm not sure what's happening there. The, the milkweed's happy and healthy. Um, but I have seen a few of the monarchs out and about, especially okay, like that's good. around garden centers. And a friend of mine, um, they, have a, they know another friend who's a little further north than us. And she has a little kind of wild monarch patch that she okay. keeps just for them. And she's been bringing in a number of them and bringing them to maturity and releasing them. And they've been happy and healthy. And she's noticed some other uh, monarch, but also other butterfly activity okay. on her plants. So up there, good. it seems to be, yeah, things are good, good. Um, or good there. So I'm not sure if it's kind of pockets. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if the again, issue is again. that they didn't make it because there were so many storms in the Southern U S this winter yes. that I wondered if the butterflies, you know, it, the migratory route is huge. So I was wondering if there was just, they didn't get here and you know, 
Arnold. So, um, so yeah, so that didn't got, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. Um, so one of the other things as we, uh, you know, it's turning into a fun show, <laughs> but I've gotten emails from clients and even my dad, uh, I wrote it in my newsletter, my September newsletter for anybody who subscribes to that, um, that a lot of people are kind of concerned about their boxwoods. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of things, you know, the industry has tried to keep it at bay, but there's lots of things happening with boxwood. That's right. Yeah. Uh, lots of different insect pests, boxwood tree moth, um, the little adelgids that are attacking, one of the big ones being boxwood blight. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that are suffering, as well as just the environmental conditions mm-hmm. um, and other things that are happening to the boxwoods, for sure. So, well, yeah, what's happening? Describe what's happening with um, your dad and your clients. Well, I wanted you to, to define, when you said adelgid, what did you say? Oh, the adelgid. It's a small adelgid. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of like an aphid-like thing that goes oh, in and, okay. and okay. eats and bites. Yeah. Yeah, so um, my dad is getting a lot of um, yellowing. Uh, I was showing you some pictures. Yeah, so yellowing and then defoliation. Uh, And I was worried that I think he's been pruning like a little too often, maybe. Uh, If he's listening to it, I'm sure he's going to disagree with me. But anyway, so I felt like he's... He's just made the problem like, you know, maybe there was a little bit of a problem. And because he's thinking that by pruning it off, he's going to make it better. And, and really, he hasn't. And then my other client, um, uh, um, Art, has been, I think, overwatering. So he did mention that mm. they've been this summer, they've been leaving the sprinklers on. They've been going to their trailer and leaving this, not an irrigation system, but an actual overhead sprinkler, um, you know, for and it's watering the lawn and watering his gardens, which are all bordered by boxwood. So his damage is kind of not, not necessarily on the outside. Like if you just look at them at a quick glance, they're still kind of green on the outside, but if you look really close and you part the part, the leaves then it's really Brown and really curly and, and things inside. So I asked him to stop watering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. It sounds like there's just some water. Damage and trapped water issue in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good that they're still green because the box would like well drained soils and they don't really withstand constantly moist soils. Yeah. Um, so that's good that she's still green. So yeah, probably just some moisture in there causing some issues and some okay. leaf, internal leaf drops. So hopefully yeah. it doesn't m- migrate outside. <laughs> right. And I did recommend um, mulching too because I've read that adding some mulch to the base. One helps with the mildew and the spores and mm-hmm. the insects, and then would also keep it, um, you know, the soil more moist so they don't feel like they have to, uh, so there's not that dry out, wet, over water, dry out, over water. Because that's the right. thing, like irrigation systems, I should have asked him about what time, because at least irrigation systems, I know there's potential for odor, over irrigating or under irrigating, but the fact that they go on typically, right, in the middle of the night or in the middle, early, early mornings, right? But yeah. if his sprinkler is going off at like nine in the morning or something, and it's just sitting there then that's a little bit different too. So I, I will follow up with him. Um, yeah. So why don't we talk a bit about blight? So you said there was actually some really specific um, identifiers. Yeah, boxwood blight is a brutal one. We had appear here, I'm trying to remember when we first saw it, but a number of years ago. And boxwood blight will show up and very quickly defoliate and kill 
lots of boxwoods. Like it'll wipe your bo established boxwood hedge out within a year. It'll just kill okay. it out. Yeah. So initially what happens is we start to see some blotching on the leaf. So some leaf spots, some irregular leaf spots where we'll kind of see a darker brown or like a ringed brown or lighter brown, almost like a water spot. So there's a dark spot and it kind of fades outwards and so these little lesions they're starting to see that on the top we'll start to see but then underneath we'll start to see some spores so like a, the white fuzzy mold okay so, so you would have to see like almost like mildew yeah almost like a little mildew appearance to it uh underneath the leaf and then what will happen is that the lesions will just start to spread and uh what you'll get is um almost it's, it's not the single spot anymore it'll just be like half the leaf will die or like from the tip up or just from like a side over it'll start to die and then you can eventually you'll start to see other stem lesions so on young green growth what we'll see is um, just some of those darker irregular spots happening or on some older boxwood growth we'll get to see some of the raised bubbly um, darker lesions or even just some wooded lesions it just kind of looks like a weird woody growth and those are the spores and the the disease doing their, okay. their thing as well is so the woody you, growth on the stem like on the branching it'll, yeah it'll be on like the thicker woodier stem the kind of the finger length or the finger width uh, or pencil width type oh. thing and they're just those raised bunches and lesions and they they usually have some dark color but they may not necessarily have dark color as well so mm -hmm. it'll be kind of more of like a warty outgrowth with some okay. discoloration sometimes as well. And, and is there anything we can spray? Is there any treatment for boxwood blight? That I know of per presently, no. In Canada, I think there in, are some, you know, chemicals possibly in the U.S. But in, Cam I know in Canada, right. in Canada, no. In 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 the United States, I'm sure there are there, you know, there are regular systemic. Um, or fungicides and other sprays that are right. way above and beyond what we ever see here in Canada. For Canada, unfortunately, because of the pesticide ban, we do just have to remove infected material. Right. And the spores are very virulent. So they will spread out to a radius of 50 feet. Um, they are 15 feet, not five zero one five feet. So where you might have a hedge running through, you know, there's going to be a 15 foot radius in all directions that the spores may be hiding so if you love boxwoods and you're going to replant boxwoods unfortunately yeah. that's not going to be a good thing for you because the yeah. surrounding material will just reinfect so mm -hmm. you're going to want to do some other um, boxwood like <laughs> um, hedging replacements and I often think of like um the strong box holly, that sort of thing. It's native. It has a boxwood like leaf. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's evergreen, but yeah. yeah. Or, or going to like a U hedge. A U because, hedge, my favorite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And just like the boxwood, the U as well will take a full sun to full shade. It tolerates things very, very similar, likes well-drained soil, but not constantly moist. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. And then the other thing about boxwood is, uh, the tree moth. So mm -hmm. in the end, does the damage look the same or is it very, I mean, aside from there, they're actually very, I mean, the moth is pretty tiny, but the caterpillar is pretty big. 
yeah, yeah, the caterpillar is fairly large and will start to defoliate huge sections. Yes. Uh, and eat the boxwood just whole. And you'll notice it more, usually more than the boxwood yeah. blight, right? And that's like May, June when it starts. Like, isn't there like a feeding time? Yes, and it is earlier in the season. So right mm -hmm. now you might have sections that have been eaten away or that look dead or suddenly there's a new pile of growth. But earlier in the season, we should have had, we should have seen uh, some of the caterpillar damage for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. And then now it's just kind of watching or hopefully you were able to trap some or, or, yeah. or treat them for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you might have some damage now that hopefully will regrow. Um but next year we're going to want to watch for sure. Watch for it for sure. Yeah. Now, um, the cat. So sorry, the so the caterpillars are quite large and and like lime green colored, um, and then the moth is white with a brown border. Mm -hmm. As yes. what I've read uh, right. about it, and I know there's been some people online saying, oh, you know, well, I'll get rid of my boxwoods because I don't want to use pesticides or, or insecticides in or pesticides, I guess, in in my garden. But the actual treatment for that um, is it's a more of a bacteria, right? It's the BTK, which we if, if anybody remembers when we talked about the um, LDD moths. Yes, it's the same kind of thing. So it's more of a bacteria that when the caterpillars eat it they die. So is it so like if you let's say your boxwoods are really healthy for our listeners who have really healthy boxwoods, do you think you would would you like proactively like is it a preventative? You you could again spraying it at the time that the larva is out because the BTK usually lasts about four to seven days okay. before the bacteria just dry out and die on your plant. Yeah and then they ingest it and it'll kill them and they'll just fall off. Um, yeah, so you could try it as a preventative, if, especially if you know that you have it in the area or they're somewhere nearby, you could definitely spray it as okay. a preventative, just as you know they're active in your area. Right, sure. right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they've just recently, like Landscape Ontario and, uh, and the government, we've been watching it and, and Etobicoke has kind of been the first place where they, they showed up, the moth. And they've been kind of watching it and trying to keep it in Etobicoke and telling everybody, you know, if you see it somewhere else, let us know. And and uh, and then I, my client in Whitby had it this year. And then I've seen other people, you know, say the same thing. So it's kind of like it, we, we kept it contained. Um you know, that's why you could never return, even as a as a, a wholesaler, yeah. we couldn't return our boxwood if you like boxwoods are always final sale, there's no returning it. Um, they were quarantined at most growers, you know, just trying to keep there were lots of things in place, trying to, you know, control this. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a it's a popular crop. And I think of like in the city, I think of in the, the you know, in the, in the um, more affluent neighborhoods downtown uh right they're mm. just covered with like 40 year old boxwood yeah exactly so, so definitely take a look um because they do also overwinter in a larval stage so there's like the generation so the main oh, feeding okay. is in the spring okay um, and then just check now because now is they'll go to sleep and there'll be little webs. So if you take a look at your box, but if you're worried and you some, see some eating, take a look just where some of the leaves and you might see just kind of like two little leaves folded together or, and a little bit of webbing. Those okay. are the very, very, very young oh. um, guys that might be trying to overwinter or, or have moved in. Okay. So can space. we do BTK now? Oh no, you, they're not really eating, right? Right now is kind of they're asleep, so they're more active, like just as they hatch. Which you, 
again, unless you're really looking, you won't right. see them. But the main time is, yeah, like starting in March, depending on where, where you warm up and in mm-hmm. through um, mm-hmm. the spring to early summer where you can, BTK works great for them. Yeah. Now, what about dormant spray? Because I know there's that kills a lot of insects, right? It does. My and I love using it for overwintering things. Um, the eggs are laid in the leaf, but with that web, you may not get uh, contact um, contact enough that it'll happen. Mm. Yeah, you might disturb the the webbing that you you know let some winter into it and they they die. But mm-hmm. they're also going to freeze solid and as their little caterpillar form or larval form and, right. and still survive. So, right. okay. yeah. So now kind of just look for a little bit of that webbing, but in the mm-hmm. spring, as you warm up, definitely watch for those little green caterpillars mm-hmm. with the black heads and then they mature, mature. Yeah. Into, like you said, the brown stripes and yeah. they, they will. I was shocked at how big they are. they got. Oh my. They're huge. Yeah. They're, they're quite huge. big. They're yeah. quite big. You didn't yeah. think you wouldn't think such a thing yeah. would. Yeah. Um, so some of my research also just popping back to blight was the recommendation that um we tr- stop trimming the boxwoods during the season, that actually the best time to trim it would be when it's dormant. You know, and I know we're all often telling people like not to trim it too late, like too like you wouldn't trim now because you don't you don't want to encourage new growth. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that people would think to do it in let's say November or March when when really the plant is dormant. Yeah, once she goes to sleep for that winter, she should be. You won't really stimulate the growth. She's changed right. her mind. Okay. It's just too cold. But yeah, often uh, yeah, early March or late March, um, that late winter kind of period giving her a light shear when spores are inactive there's no free moisture it's all locked up in drying winds or sorry locked up in snow or ice mm-hmm. and then we have the drying winds is a good time to do it too again i would still say if you're worried that you do have it again sanitation um yeah you don't want to cut through it take the tools into a warmer spot let the spores slowly warm up or still be dormant there and then go out in the growing season and and do yeah. it. But yeah, you can definitely do it then to remove it, um, shape your trees and your shrub or your shrubs uh, or your topiaries, whatever you end up having. Yeah, that's a, a good point. A good point. Okay, yeah, a good point. Yeah. So if you have our if you have boxwood questions, you know where you find us, right, Matt? That's right. Yeah, you could definitely find us on our Facebook group at Down of the Garden Path Podcast is our handle there. Same for Instagram at Down the garden path podcast uh we'd love for you to interact with our posts or on facebook as well post your boxwood maybe you have an issue you're not sure of that we can help out with you or help you out with Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but we'd also love to hear from our listeners what are you growing what's exciting what's happening in your garden what's happening in your garden is it looking like our gardens are right now with the crazy september weather mm-hmm. so definitely let us know and we'd love to hear from you there as well so thank you um yes. for joining us on this episode of down the garden path <laughs> i'm matthew dressing here with my co-host and co-author joanne shaw uh, Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that have joined us on the show. 
That's right. And don't forget to, you can spend time with us on Down the Garden Path. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, yes, our show is available at the Garden at Down the Garden Path podcast on YouTube. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit subscribe so that you'll be notified of new content. I know our schedule, we, we're just working out our new schedule uh, of, of posting. So we hope to be a little bit more consistent as we transition from the radio show to the podcast only. So thank you for hanging in there with us. Um, so we love hearing from you, our listeners, and you can always write us at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com or via our websites. And you can find me at downtoearth.ca with the number two and Matt at naturalaffinity.ca. So we thank you for your support. That's right. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> That's right. Thanks for joining us down the garden path. <laughs>